Hi, welcome to the Maker's Heart. The podcast that explores why makers do what they do and how we can learn from them. I'm Maya Fernandez, your host, and in this bonus episode, Benjamin Tran and I dive deeper into the concept of flow and its connection to both mindfulness and making. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, I think when you're saying community, like, Makers have community because they're makers, and that's also something else. Like, yeah, yeah, you go online and you want to learn a new recipe, and you'll see so many people cooking, or so many people teaching you like this new skill that you didn't even know people could have. Yeah, and then you start experimenting. I think a lot of people did that because of lockdown and stuff. Yeah, we we do have community, even though sometimes I can be a little bit of a hermit and uh, live in my own cave for a long time. But I know what you mean in the sense that when I find somebody else who loves creating like I do, there is this sense of understanding and familiarity there. And me personally, like I create art out of like a need for it because it's some sort of it feels like maybe like some sort of existential need for lack of a better term. And and I can it's, it's easy to sense that in other people and it makes you feel like you're not alone. So you're right that, uh, yeah, creatives definitely have an inherent community out there, whether whether you know of each other's existence or not, we're out there, yeah. So in what other ways do you make in your life? Do you have any other uh, maker hobbies? Well, again, like I create my reality moment to moment with every single decision that I make, and better decisions are born out of awareness and non-judgmental awareness that if I if I if I want to take it further than that uh, but I guess other examples of art like I, again I like to paint I like to uh, do pyrography which is wood burning I like to draw I like to make videos I like to speak in the way that I'm speaking right now I like to write I like to create relationships with people who are like-minded I like to create experiences um I like to create a relationship with the universe, or I, I, I like the word God, but I, I, if, I, if other people resonate with the word the universe or Mother Nature, uh, you know, or, or your own God, that, 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 that's the same uh, idea, I guess. And, yeah, it's endless, really. It sounds yeah. like you try to make most of your time being in complete awareness as much as possible yeah that would be ideal and and i i i don't want to come off as somebody who uh is like so good at it because me myself the reason why i'm so passionate about is because i know how much i need it in my own life i have so many flaws just like everybody here and i'm not always aware and i and i'm susceptible to distraction i'm susceptible to to unhealthy behaviors and that's one reason why I guess I am passionate about what I do is because it's something that takes me into the positive side of things 
but yes, the, the ideal way would be to be as aware as possible for as long as possible. Uh, and, and there's also like the idea in Buddhism, it's called right awareness. It's one of the eight, uh, it's one of the themes in the eightfold path, uh, but right awareness is one of them. And so being aware in the right way, so being non-judgmental to, to what you're seeing and trying to see things for the raw qualia. And, and then there's also right intention. So then trying to, to be aware of where your intentions lie. And sometimes that's, it's not easy sometimes too, to know where your intentions lie. It involves, uh, looking into yourself and working with your subconscious. And that's not apparent, uh, right off the bat. you really have to constantly study your behaviors and ask yourself why you do certain things and learn who you are subconsciously because, you know, a lot of our, most of our actions are rooted from our subconscious. Uh, only a small percentage of our actions are rooted from conscious intention. So it's so important to, to ha develop a close relationship with your subconscious because that is where a lot of your behaviors come from. So I think ideally I would, uh, as much as I'm able to uh, learn about who I am subconsciously and where my motivations lie, uh, and to make sure my intentions are straight, because a lot of the time, sometimes they're not, and and that's it's in my power to to cultivate a healthy relationship with my subconscious, uh, at least my awareness of it. Yeah. You're saying a lot of interesting things because like, I'm a big believer of therapy. I've been in therapy most of my life, right. and that's. That's literally most of what we talk about. Like, you want to understand not only your intentions, but how you're also in the wrong. Because, like, we have a tendency of thinking that we're victims. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to see your own flaws. Mm. And I find that, well, two things for me at least help with that is like being with other people. Because if you're alone, you're never going to understand yourself. You see yourself through others. Mm. They see you better than, than you see yourself sometimes. Right. And then also being able to look into yourself and seeing why am I acting this way? Like trying to understand your emotions is so difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It really is. And there's so much, you know, you could talk about in terms of your relationship with your own emotions and self. Um, I think that journalism, journaling is a really good exercise because it's a way for you to learn about who you are from sort of a third-party perspective when you read back your entries. But you're right, having a community around you to keep you in check, although you do have to, you do have to be intentional with who you spend your time around because, again, just like all of us, People have their own intentions and people have their own motives and and reasons for what they do. Uh, or, yeah, so you, you do have to surround yourself with uh, people who, who genuinely want the best for you. And that's not always easy to sense, of course, but you get better at it as you go through life. And if you have those people around you, you know, if you have those people who will celebrate your wins, uh, who will call you out when when you're not conscious of your intentions that's 
that's beautiful. That's beautifully healthy. And um, no, you're right. That's it's it's very important. Yeah. Um, and just to bring it back to like art, what does the feeling of working with your hands do for you that you don't get in any other like creative thing that you mm, do? That's a great question, actually. I love working with my hands because it makes me feel connected with my body. And because when I create art, it's, 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 it's very intentional. At the same time, I don't always have a solid expectation of what I want to do, but there is sort of intention of how I'm going to do it. And, um, and, and working with my hands and having, having my inner realm transferred into the material world in a way that feels coherent is a beautiful feeling. And, uh, the piece of it connecting me with my own body is is uh, really meaningful it's it's similar to going for walks and how that feels great it's a great mindfulness exercise going for walks because you're engaging your body and i'm sure a lot of people who play sports will relate it's like a mindfulness practice to be in the flow of 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 the game that you're playing and and just being so present with your body and your movements that yeah, it, it just immerses you in that experience, which is amazing. Uh, so I love working with my hands because of that movement piece. It connects me with my body, and that's why I love actually creating large murals. Because creating large murals with spray paint, uh, it's huge body movements. It's um, it's rhythmic, uh, and uh, and I it requires for me to be cognizant of how my body is going to move when I when I make a mark, and when it is done right it is uh harmonious it feels it feels good to be in harmony with my body so i guess what i where that where i'm where i'm trying to go is my mind would feel like it's in harmony with my body and that's probably where the fulfillment comes from uh, that connection there that coherency uh, or coherence i mean and yeah, yeah, that's what I think it is, that connection between mind and body. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, flow, it's something that is supposed, like, the more time you spend in flow, you're, you're supposed to be happier. At least that's, like, the theory. Mm. So you should try to be in flow as much as you can. But again, as you're saying, it's like, it's not an easy thing. Right. You find it in certain moments, and then you lose it, and then you try to find it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Flow state, uh, like the literature b behind flow state is really interesting. It's like it's a task that is that has a certain element of difficulty to it, but not too difficult in that you don't have to think about it too much. Like it's a little difficult, but easy enough for you to lose yourself in the moment so it's like that perfect threshold of difficulty and and to be in that state is extremely fulfilling and it makes you feel like you're just inextricably connected with everything around you you lose your sense of self in a way that is therapeutic and uh yeah no i don't think we have to strive to be in flow state all the time but 
it's nice to to know that it exists and that it it's something that can occur when you're doing any task that has a level of difficulty to it yeah i, I learned i learned about it when i briefly in my undergraduate studies when i in a kinesiology class uh, in sport in the in the context of sport at least that's interesting that you learned about it in that context. Yeah. I just know about it because one of my cousins is um, a psychologist. And then she was like, you should really read this book. And I think the analogy they use is a tennis analogy. Mm. Like when you play tennis, you kind of have to amp up like, the level of difficulty because if it gets too easy, you're going to get bored. Just like boredom, anxiety, flow. Mm, right, right. Yeah. And like everything, well, not as much now, but when I was younger, a lot of what I did was in the boredom side, like watching TVs, that side. And, you know, I used to spend a lot of time alone. So actually trying to do things that bring you more into flow I feel makes you live more as well like do things that maybe you wouldn't do because you're challenging yourself every step oh totally no you're right exactly it's easy to do things that are super easy and they comfort you and they might relieve your boredom temporarily but doing things that are that are challenging, not too challenging, but challenging enough is like a different sense of fulfillment. Like it's truly the cure to, to boredom in that it gives you a, a reason to move forward, like a, a a really full sense of motivation. And yeah, no, that's, this is, this is a great conversation because it's reminding me to continuously challenge myself. And maybe that's a reason why I like experimenting with different mediums because when I try a new medium, it's an immediate challenge because I'm new and I have to figure out, you know, the ins and outs and how to get started. And that instantly gets me back into my creative flow because it's like a new thing and it fills me up with motivation because the constant progress that is had when you're trying something new is extremely, uh, it really engages you. So... I'm just looking around at my paintings around here and, and I haven't worked on them in a couple of weeks because I feel like I haven't, uh, they're not challenging enough and so I'm bored with them. And so re and one way that I combat that is I take a huge risk in that I change the whole piece, like I make a huge mark and that like a huge uh, sort of, uh, what's the word, a very... Mm. I don't know. It starts with an O. A, a very, a very, uh, like just an intrusive mark that just can't be left like it is. And so it's a challenge for me to turn that mark into something uh, beautiful, that's something that serves the painting. Uh, so I guess, yeah, taking a huge leap, taking a huge risk is something that like lunges me forward when I find myself a little bored, a little stagnant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning so much, actually, because David um, Moynihan from The Cottage Pottery, he also brought up flow, mm -hmm. because he used to teach 
at a Montessori school in London, and he said that they teach this there. Oh, that's cool. And he learned it because, you know, he was a teacher, and they were like, oh, this is part of our curriculum. And I thought that was so cool. And now you mentioned that you also learned it. Yeah. And I never learned it in school. And I think <laughs> that's more people should learn that because even if you're not, I guess maybe if you're not really interested in mindfulness in the way that people speak about it, this is a more quote-unquote practical way of looking at it mm -hmm. instead of I'm going to sit down and, med and um, meditate, I'm going to sit down and do something that I already like doing and just doing it a bit more harder on myself that one time. Right, right. Yeah, challenge yourself a little bit and it really engages you. It's it's interesting. These are yeah, you're right. These are amazing things to learn and I I feel grateful that I dove deep into this these topics in my university studies. Uh but in terms of like primary school and even and in high school too, it, I guess it makes you really question what the motivations behind um what curriculums are prescribed to the to the kids uh, are and it's, you know it makes you question like why are they choosing to teach certain things and why are they uh leaving out certain things it makes you question the agenda behind it and if they're trying if they're you know if there are any motivations to yeah it makes you think about it yeah Yeah, I wonder, like, if that's going to change because it feels like such a broken system. <laughs> and I remember because I went to a private school yeah. and it was really tough because we had so much homework and we were so controlled because it was a very small school. And I remember when I was in high school, Like, I would go into the bathroom and people were crying because it was so much stress on, Jeez. like, and I saw, because I went to a pretty, I would say, chill <laughs> middle school and primary school. Like, it wasn't that academically focused. My memories of being young was playing outside, like, doing sports, all these things. And then when I was in high school, in this private school, I would look at kids in primary school and they were all doing homework at recess mm. and nobody was playing. Like everyone was just, you know, very stressed out. Interesting, yeah. What does an eight-year-old have to be stressed? Right. It doesn't really make any sense. It feels like, why are you putting that pressure from such a young age? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I, I would assume there's probably a lot that goes into why they choose to, you know, uh, teach a certain way and, and what they choose to teach. And some of the motivations behind it aren't, perhaps they aren't, uh, you know, to the entire benefit of the student. And maybe there's other factors at play. Uh, for example, uh, money and and whatnot. But I won't, I'm not... Uh, You know, I, that's not my field of expertise. It, it's just questions that I ask. Yeah, for sure. I find it, I find it really interesting. Um, okay, I think we're like over. So thank you so much for your time. Oh no, no, my pleasure. 
I want to thank Ben again for sharing his knowledge and time. I'm Maya Fernandez, and you're listening to The Maker's Heart. Curious to see what other makers have to say? The next episode is only one click away. <laughs>